On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, let's talk about what Chet Holmgren said in the New York Times. Let's talk about the Thunder frustrating narrative from the national media and your mailbag questions, including what the Thunder should do at the deadline, the offseason, the draft, and how they can get even better within this season. We'll talk about it all on today's Locked On Thunder podcast, your team every day. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at Thunderous intentions.com Ryland styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO thunder pod. Email the show. LO thunder pod at gmail.com on today's show brought to you by FanDuel. We're going to dive into the frustrating narrative around Oklahoma city, Chet Holmgren and his comments in the New York times and your mailbag questions. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel FanDuel sports book, the official sports book of locked on make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Jam-packed week ahead. We recapped the uh, Nuggets game yesterday. Today we're going to do a mailbag podcast, talk about what Chet said to the New York Times, and talk about a frustrating narrative that's being surrounded of, of Oklahoma City. Tomorrow, we're going to have our good friend, Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter, discuss the NBA draft and how the Thunder are positioned in it now and what they can possibly do in this upcoming NBA draft. And then, of course, Thursday, a Hawks recap. And Friday, a stock watch report before we recap the Cavs game on Saturday and then get you set for another five-show weekday and after every single game right here on Lockdown Thunder. So Chet Holmgren, he had an article about him in the New York Times uh, over the weekend, and there were some bullet points I want to talk about. You should go read the entire article because it's a fantastic article. But uh, the big thing that I want to point out is that within the article, you can really tell how mature Chet Holmgren is, how polished he is, and and how he thinks the game. Whenever he says in this article that he doesn't have to be Superman, that he can just come in and figure out how to get five points better because the team isn't getting blown out. You know, they're losing by four points or winning by four points. Just how can he get the team over that hump? I think that it really shows the maturity level of Chet Holmgren, which has been brought up by Mark and brought up by Sam Presti and brought up by some of his teammates. And, you know, you've never had a tangible story to to put that praise onto. But I think that him understanding that, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, I want to be playing right now. Yes, I'm hurt. And yes, I cannot wait to get back on the floor. But whenever that time does come and you do get back on the floor, don't try to do too much. Just try to fit into this team and try to get them better. And I think it'll be a seamless transition. There's a few reasons why. The first reason why is that one of Oklahoma City's best defensive lineups, as they sit right now with the top 10 defense in the NBA, and they sit at ninth. One of their best defensive lineups is SGA, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, J-Dub, and Mike Muscala. Well, you're going to replace Mike Muscala, who is not a particularly great defender in general. Now, he still plays really good drop coverage in the pick and roll, and he still walls up at the rim pretty well without fouling but he's not this elite defender or great shot blocker, or he doesn't really do anything excellent defensively. He does a lot of things really well. Like that, that's kind of the point with Muscala. So you're going to replace him 
with Chet Holmgren, who's going to provide everything OKC needs. He's going to provide rim protection. He's going to provide rebounding. He's going to provide floor spacing. He's going to be an offensive weapon for you in the half court the way that Muscala is. He's going to provide outlet passing off these rebounds and allow you to continue to push the tempo, which is where you found success over the last few weeks. And for Chet to acknowledge, hey, it's not that I have to go out here and play outside of myself or do too much. I just have to figure out how to help this team get four more points tonight. That shows, I think, great maturity. And and I think that it's going to be fabulous to see him fit in with the rest of this Thunder roster. So the the article was great. Go read the entire thing uh, at the New York Times. Uh, But I want to talk also, before we get into your mailbag questions, about this narrative around OKC. And this is not just the national media. It's been happening within the Thunder fan base as well. I don't really like the pushback that some of these wins are getting. For starters, you can't, for the, this part's only for the national media, you can't be saying that the Thunder are the black eye of the league and the Thunder are trying to lose games and Sam Presti should be investigated because they're just trying to to purposefully lose and it's a disgrace to the sport and, and it's what Sam Hankey did. You can't be saying all of that and then also discrediting them whenever they actually do win games. And as fans and as media, so this is for both parties, We can't sit around all season long and say, the NBA, you know, it's just not the same as it was back in my day. Back in my day, Dirk would play with the flu. Back in my day, guys would play 82 games a night. You know, John Havlicek would would run from a train to the arena back in my day to play in a game. And now it's just load management. It's just stars never play. We can't be saying that all year long. And then when the Thunder rack up some wins, say, well, they only did it against guys, the teams that didn't have their stars. That's the whole point of, of the thing. Like You can say that for every single team. Find me the team that has played up until this point all of their games against fully healthy rosters. Well, the Thunder also have not been fully healthy, by the way. But find me the team that has played all 41, 42, 45 games, whatever the point that they're at in their season, that have played all their games against a fully healthy squad. And... To further kind of prove the point, none of these teams are just resting guys. Like, the point of, oh, you beat Grizzlies without Ja. The Thunder didn't have Josh Giddy or SGA, and Ja got ejected. Like, Ja played. He just got ejected. That happens. Kevin Durant got hurt. Like, legitimately, Kevin Durant is hurt, and he's still not returned to the floor. Therese Halliburton, legitimately hurt. Jokic, legitimately hurt nursing an injury where he was playing off and on. No team has even rested a player against OKC because even going back to that October date with the Clippers where we thought, wow, the Clippers are not taking the Thunder seriously. They're not playing a Kawhi in either game. They only played Paul George once. That's That wasn't a Thunder thing. That was a Clippers thing. That's just how they're operating. It's just how they're handling their season. So, you can't hold up. Yeah, the Thunder are winning, but they've beaten you know the the Nets without KD, the Pacers without Halliburton, the Nuggets without Jokic. You can't hold that up and still complain that Stars never play anymore in general, and then still complain that the Thunder uh, were a tanking team. You can't have it both ways. If Stars don't play, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Then on any given night, you might play a team that is resting guys or has guys injured. That's just how it goes. 
And again, it's not been rest. It's been injuries. And that happens every single year. That happens every single game. There's somebody hurt. And again, in tomorrow's Hawks game, the injury report's not yet, but Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Bokashevsky still hurt. Chet Holmgren still hurt. The Hawks will, of course, have some people hurt as well. That's what happens every single game. And when it doesn't happen, it's not as though that in these articles that you're writing or tweets that you're sending that you're giving them extra credit for being the fully healthy Celtics or beating the fully healthy Sixers. You're just looking at, well, the Nuggets didn't have Jokic and the Pacers didn't have Halliburton. Well, first of all, the Pacers and Thunder are pretty much the exact same team. So yeah, not having Halliburton was a, a detriment to them, but it wasn't as though it was like some upset of the year to beat the Pacers with or without Halliburton. And the Nets didn't have KD. Yeah, the Nets haven't had KD, you know, the entire, you know, the entire last couple of weeks. So then any team was beating the Nets over these last few weeks where that Kyrie has been leading the ship, just that one doesn't count for them. And then again, the Grizzlies thing is so disingenuous because Ja was ejected. He did play. He just got ejected, which is out of anyone's control, even Ja's in that case. I don't think he warranted an ejection. And the Thunder didn't have their two guys either. So I just think that this is life in the NBA. Would I have rather watched Terry Halliburton play Last week, absolutely. I was I was circling that game on the calendar. We were talking about it for weeks on end in the media room, saying, oh, I can't wait for Terry Halliburton to be here and watch him play in person. I would have loved for him to play. But life in the NBA suggests they're not going to play 82 games anymore. And they're going to get hurt, sadly. And they're going to miss games, sadly. And so the Thunder did what they had to do, and they took care of business. And that should be the end of discussion. Because they've done it both ways. They've beaten fully healthy teams, They've beaten teams that were lacking a star or two. They've also lost the teams who were lacking a star or two. They lost to the Heat by one point when the Heat didn't have Bam, didn't have uh, Tyler Hero, didn't have Kyle Lowry, only had Jimmy Butler and, and had a team that went 40 for 40 at the free throw line. That's life in the NBA. That's life in the association. Coming up, we'll talk about your mailbag questions. But first, I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at FanDuel, folks. FanDuel is incredible. The NFL playoffs are here. We're excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So new customers can join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet, just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has all the bets from the money line to the point spread and player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout in the same game parlay. There are so many great bets even this weekend for FanDuel right now. You can bet on individual NBA games today. You can also bet on the future NFL games, which are going to be happening this weekend. So like, for example, today you can bet on Sixers, I'm sorry, Celtics heat Celtics four point underdogs on the road. Second night of a back to back. I'm still rocking with the Celtics plus four, but you can also bet on the NFC or AFC championship game. I'll take Bengals plus one and a half in Kansas city. I just think that they have the chiefs number. Sadly, I'm a chiefs fan. So hopefully I'm wrong, but we'll see how it goes this weekend. Bottom line is you can go right now and do not miss out by placing your first $5 bet. You can get $150 in free bets, win or lose at fanduel.com slash locked on. It's also on the app, which is safe, secure, and easy to use. 
So make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook and partner of the NFL. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Socking Thunder Basketball. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode. Let's dive into your mailbag questions. So the first one comes from Broylin. When the Thunder are seemingly pushing for the playoffs and away from tanking, does a Muscala trade make sense? And it does it sound like a good move? Uh, I'm not. So you set this up in a weird way, in my opinion, because Muscala is a good is a, is a good asset for the Thunder in terms of winning games. Like his plus minus numbers are top of the of the roster. You know, him and Isaiah Joe are crazy good at plus minus numbers in terms of how well they impact the team when they're on the floor. Uh, but no, I, I don't think that they'll trade anyone at the deadline besides maybe flipping Baisley for like a, a, a same level of player who's on an expiring deal and, and maybe a second round pick they give away to do that or whatever. Uh, but I think that it's just Baisley that's on the block and no one else, uh, in my opinion. At Schwarzlack Isaac, how much of an improvement is Chet going to be? Can OKC have a top five lineup in the NBA when they add Chet Holmgren in? I think Chet Holmgren's going to be really good. And I think that Chet Holmgren is everything this team needs and everything that Shea needs and everything that Giddy needs. He not only fits in the construct of how this team is designed to play, but he fits in the construct of how the two, how the two guards, the two stars are designed to play. He can pop trailing threes whenever the team gets out in transition and Maybe nothing quite materializes, so you stop at the nail and then pop it back out to him top of the key, and he knocks down a three. Like That's going to be a money play for the Thunder all year long. It was a money play for the Thunder back in Summer League whenever him and Josh Giddy played together in Summer League. Uh, I think that offensively, you can do so much stuff. You can let him You can let him cook in the low post on the block. You can let him cook in the high post. You can find him on catch and shoots. Uh, he can create a little, a little bit. He can. He's versatile. He can defend because of his length and his size. Even if he gets beat by smaller, faster, quick, quicker players, that length and understanding of how to protect the rim and when to jump and how to uh, block shots, like that's a legitimate tool that he can use to make up for if he does get beat off the dribble on the perimeter. Uh, and of course, playing down low, he'll be a really good rim deterrent to which the Thunder desperately need right now uh, that they don't have because of the injuries and because of, of course, Chet not being uh, healthy right now. And I tried to temper expectations as best that I can with this, with, with this about Chet, but as long as he's fully healthy, as long as he's fully kind of re, you know, rehabbed from this injury, there's no reason to believe that it can't work because we are seeing it work with Mike Muscala. Like, like I said, Mike Muscala's plus minus is, is incredible. Like whenever he's on the floor, he makes a positive impact and no offense to Muscala, but you're going to replace Muscala with a much better version of him. Like, like you're going to go from Muscala who can, who can do the things Chet can do well to a guy who can do what Chet can do excellently because he's Chet Holmgren. Like you're going to go from doing it well and doing it good enough to doing it excellent. And that's just going to change everything about this team. Uh, at vegan underscore Harry, uh, hypothetically, Jesus, uh, Usman Jang goes off the rest of the year and looks legitimate. Who will be starting at five next year? Uh, I'm confused again, confused by this question set up because I think that Jang is not a five, and I think that Chet is a five. So 
I think that you were alluding to like Chet playing the four. Chet will not play the four. Chet will be the center on this team. Like, I'm not sure if people, how many people still like envision him as a power forward. He's a center. He's going to play center on this team. He's going to be the five. And you're working and flushing everything out around him. Uh, it is hard to imagine that Usman will play good enough in the last few weeks of the season, you know, the second half of the season as he's healthy now, to warrant him as a starter next year above J-Dub because J-Dub looks fantastic. But Usman can be a really, really good player for the second unit, and, and this and this will be, if he hits, if Usman hits, this starts to become an embarrassment of riches because if you can if you can pass the baton from J-Dub to Usman Jang, from, um, you know, from... Josh Giddy to Trey Mann if he can start hitting shots, like if he ever becomes the score that we think. You can pass a baton to these guys, then it all starts to work out. And it all starts to, you start to see kind of how this team can just be able to boat race certain teams because they just simply have more depth. So like Jeremiah Rumpson and Bokoshevsky, they played really well this year. And they played like they played like true contributors and true high-end talent uh, guys in the terms of rotational pieces. But they're not going to start over Chet Holmgren. So Chet Holmgren will pass the baton to Poku or, or Jeremiah Robson Earl, and then you'll, you'll take out J-Dub and put in the, the other one. You'll, you'll, you'll put in Jerry as center, take out take out J-Dub, put in Poku at power forward, take out Giddy at small forward, put in put in Usman Jang, take out Lou Dort and put in Isaiah Joe, and then take out SGA and put in you know Trey Mann or, or whoever you want the backup point guard to be in this scenario, or just stagger SJ and Giddy, of course, as you have been doing all season long for Mark. Uh, you know, so you're seeing how this roster really becomes an embarrassment of riches and it becomes an embarrassment of so many great talents to continue to stay on the floor whenever we haven't even discussed the first round pick this year. Like the 2023 draft is loaded. Even with all these wins, you're still going to get a really good player in the draft, and you might even trade up in the draft with all these first-round picks you have in the future, especially in 24, because you can't take all four uh, all four first-round picks in 24. Like, this team, if Jang hits, if Trey Mann becomes uh, the score that we think he can become and gets out of this cold streak, like, if they all hit, this is going to be one of the best teams in basketball. Uh, at Bushman, at underscore Bushman, have the team dietitians considered sending Poku and Chet Holmgren to Del Rancho? I've um, never been to Del Rancho. I assume it's a restaurant like that's really good and uh, proteiny. I, I am a, I'm assuming that the that dietitians have factored in everything regarding Chet and Poku, but it'd be fun to see them out there just hammering tacos or something one day. At Caleb DA452226, would you consider Ludor a non negotiable non negotiable trade player? Uh, untouchable? No, I wouldn't consider him untouchable. I would consider him hard to find a trade partner in the sense of like Shea, Giddy, Chet, J-Dub. Like to me, those are untouchables. Like, like there's just nothing that you can give up that warrants giving up four more years of Shea, that warrants giving up seven more years of Josh Giddy, that warrants giving up eight more years of J-Dub, eight more years of Chet. There's nothing another team can give up that warrants that. For Lou Dort... There technically is a price that another team might be willing to pay that would be like, okay, you know, we like we like Lou Dort, but this price is a premium that we have to sell him at. I do, I do think though that getting that price is a bit unrealistic because even at for Lou Dort's limitation at rim finishing, even for Lou Dort's streaky three-point shooting, which I think gets better as you move him down the offensive ladder, you can't just replace Lou Dort. Like you to replace Lou Dort a team would have to give you someone better than Lou Dort. 
and even for his limitations, who realistically would teams give you that's better than Lou Dort? Now, let me be clear. There are many a players in the NBA better than Lou Dort, like John Morant, like LeBron. They're, 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 those guys are off the table in Lou Dort discussions. Who would another team be willing to give up to get Lou Dort in return that would then be worthwhile for the Thunder to cash in? That, to me, it's not that Lou Dort's untouchable. It's that that the perfect storm of a trade involving Lou Dort doesn't seem to, doesn't seem realistic to materialize. Now, the reason I also say he's not untouchable is because the Thunder do not have that many sweeteners. So if we do all agree that Shea, that Giddy, that Chet, that J-Dub are untouchables, and we do all agree that you cannot just overwhelm teams with picks alone to go get what you might want, who is left out there to be a sweetener in a trade? Trey Mann, Lou Dort, you know, like those are your guys that are sweeteners as a, as a trade chip. And so I don't think it's out of the question that Lou Dort gets traded eventually. However, I still don't think it's likely because it would truly take the perfect storm of everything kind of coming together all at once. That's kind of how I feel about it. Coming up, we'll talk about your mailbag questions, including the 2023 draft, Darius Baisley, some trade targets for the deadline, J-Dub's trajectory, and... Was the Shingun trade bad for OKC? Did Sam Presti make a mistake? That's all coming up. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Talking Thunder Basketball. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode. Check it out today. Wherever you get your podcast from, including on YouTube, Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. At Kenny L. Moore, with Usman Jang being so young, where does he rank in the 2023 big board, which is a draft class that I really, really like? Uh, so where would I put him on my big board if we just if we just kind of erase this entire season and put him back in the draft pool? Uh, where would he be? Uh, so let's just go through it. Victor Minya, this is going to be a... Let's just go through Tankathon's big board because I don't want to reveal mine yet until we, we do a podcast about it. So this is from this is from Tankathon's big board. Is he better than Victor Wignana? No. Is he better than Scoot Henderson? No. Is he better than the Thompson Twins? Uh, you'd probably still take the Thompson Twins over Usman Jang, obviously. But better than Brandon Miller. You'd probably still take Brandon Miller. Better than Cam Whitmore. I'd still take Cam Whitmore. Better than Nick Smith Jr. Both interesting. Both very interesting. I think that people would rather have the flyer on Nick Smith Jr. than Usman Jang. Better than Keontae George. For me, I would say that I'd rather have Usman Jang than, than Keontae George. I would say that I'd rather have Usman Jang than Carson Wallace, than Grady Dick, than Chet Howard, than Anthony Black, than Kyle Flip- Flipkowski, than Derek Whitehead, than Travion Smith. Like, I would say I'd rather have them. Uh, Drees Walker, another name that people really love. I think it'd be really close. I think that you can go either way. For me personally, I'd rather have what Usman Jang can be because I've watched him up close in the G League and seen kind of the, the flash. And before this injury, we saw his best NBA game against the Hawks where he looked really, really good. Like the defense that he provides and the scoring that he has potential to flash. Like I just really like Jang. So what do we get to? Eight names that I would, that I would have put ahead of him. Seven names that I put ahead of him. Uh, but it, it's it's still Usman Jang would be right where he was last year, I think, uh, pretty much because of those coin flips that I mentioned. So pretty much like at 11th, like where he was last year. Uh, at Tbrook05, what is Baisley's defined role moving forward, and can we expect Isaiah Joe to be part of the core? 
So for Darius Baisley, I don't think that he has a role in OKC next year. Uh, for him as a person, like as, a, as a player and independent of the Thunder, his role should be this incredible switchable defender that can switch one through five, uh, that can um, really lock down an island and also, also play really good help defense and help rebound and play great transition defense. And then offensively, he's just this cutting wing that's a rim runner and pick and roll and really just tries to get his way to the basket without without having to dribble his way there and create his own his own path there. Uh, I think that he can use his athleticism a lot better offensively. And as I've been pointing out, is that a Baisley problem or is it a Thunder problem? Like, are the Thunder not putting him in that position or is he not accepting that position? We're never going to know the truth, but I, I, I have to imagine that the Thunder were the ones putting him in that camping in the corner position uh, the last couple of years, which is not at all advantageous for his skill set. And hopefully he will kind of break out of that mold. And, and he has been playing very well this last month. So, But still, even with that last month, uh, I don't think that he'll be in OKC next year. Uh, next question was from the same person in the same question. Can we expect Isaiah Joe to uh, become a part of the core? Defining what you mean by core, we can get kind of in the mud there. Uh, will he be on the team next year? Yes. Will he be on the team the year after that? I think yes. Uh, and then and then you start to have so much roster turnover because of these draft picks that it's kind of up in the air. But obviously, as an offensive boost to this roster, he's a huge, huge, huge upgrade that is not going to be easily replaced. And as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, he shows something. He shows some things defensively, despite his size, that make me believe he can stay on the floor and not just get hunted. Which was a big fear early on in the season. Was okay. Can this guy just get hunt, like hunted on defense and then played off the floor that way? Last game against the against the Nuggets, where it was a playoff environment, and and, and it came down the stretch. I was very comfortable with Isaiah Joe on the floor because of the because of what he showed defensively, which I went into detail on yesterday. Uh, at only Roberto one three two four. What are some low key trades OKC can make before the deadline? Again, I don't think that they're going to do anything. Um, but for the sake of the question, I would love to try to see them get Mobamba. I'd love to try to get them to see a flyer on somebody. I don't think that they're going to, and I don't think that they should. But for the sake of the question, my low key trade target would be Mobamba. Uh, at M Duke O five does basically have a chance to stay on the roster. Um, I don't think so because of just the writing being on the wall. And even if they, even if they keep him past the deadline, I think that they just let his contract expire because who else are you going to move on from? Like it just comes down to that. Like even if he's on the team past the ninth deadline, if you, who, if you resign him, who are you then waving to get your 23 first round pick on the roster? It's not going to be Shea. It's not going to be Dort, not going to be Chet, not going to be Giddy, not going to be Jane, not going to be J-Dub, not going to be Muscala. If you re-sign Baisley, it won't be, it won't be Baisley. Uh, it won't be Poku. It won't be Jeremiah Rumpsnerl. It won't be Kenny Hustle. So will it be Wiggins, Joe, Trey Mann? You know, who will it be? Because it can't be Omaru or Lindy Waters on a two-way deal. They're not in a roster spot. So who will it be? Sadly, for Baisley, the best, easiest, and... Um, deserving option would be to just not resign Baisley. Because you have to cut the other players or or decline their uh, club deal in, in terms of Muscala. And they've warranted a spot on this roster more so than Baisley has um, to this point. So I just I just don't think that it's going to be a fit long-term for OKC and Baisley. And I think that that's a good thing for Baisley because I think that in a, with a change of scenery, Baisley can be really good. Like I still think that Baisley can be a really, really good NBA player. Uh, at NJH Holdings, what is J-Dub's trajectory? 
I really think that Jada can be an all-star caliber player. Now, again, all-star caliber player is exactly what that sounds like. Caliber of player. He might not make an all-star team. Mike Conley was an all-star caliber player. He didn't make an all-star game until, what, the, the, the COVID season? Like, you know, the, the year after the bubble, I should say. Uh, you know, just because, let's say this team gets really, really good and they win a ton of games. Shea's going to be an all-star. If they get really, really good and they're winning a ton of games, Chet, Chet Holmgren is likely playing really, really well. He's going to be an all-star because of the preconceived expectations of him, and, and he'll for sure get it over J-Dub. And you've got to be just excellent. I mean, excellent to get a third all-star. And the way Josh Giddy's playing right now, he could be an all-star caliber player. And the way Jada's playing right now, he could be an all-star caliber player. But you can't send three, four guys to an all-star game from the same team. And so you just, it's just how the cookie crumbles with, you know, the, the fact of how all, you know, all-star rosters work. But can he be seen in the same tier as all-stars? I think he absolutely can. Because he can score at all three levels. Because he's so patient as a playmaker. Because his length and, and, and size and measurements give me hope for his defensive side of the floor and the fact that Mark has pointed out how good he can be defensively. I think that they're going to spend the whole summer in training camp next year working on continuing to improve his defense. I think this defense has improved even within this season. So I'm really high on Jada. Uh, at MV Pot, who would you rather keep, Wiggins or Mann? Um, this is a this is an odd pairing. I appreciate it because it's, it's a very thoughtful pairing. Um, but... Who's playing better this moment? I think Wiggins is playing way better this moment. Uh, who has the higher ceiling? I think that Trey Mann has a higher ceiling. And at that point, you probably lean ceiling. Um, but, yeah, so I would lean ceiling with Mann, but I love Aaron Wiggins. Uh, at Black Dolphin, do you think the Thunder make any trades? I do not think that. I would not predict that. Uh, at Trevor Huey 2, do the Thunder look to make a win-now move in the offseason season? or wait until the deadline the following season once they see how Chet Holmgren plays. Uh, I don't think that they'll do anything crazy this offseason. I could be wrong. Sam Presti has shocked me way time, many times before. But I would not envision any blockbuster moves this summer. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I envision blockbuster moves in general, because if you believe in the development of Jang and, and J-Dub and Giddy and Shea and Chet, like you're you're no longer a all-in superstar move away. You're just a all-in rotational piece away. Like you're just an all-in veteran to tie the roster together move away. Um, so that might be just what the Thunder need, and they, they don't need to go get a superstar. They need to go get a veteran. They need to go get a Steven Adams, like like what Memphis did, uh, to tie their roster together. Um, that's just kind of where I'm at with the Thunder in terms of all-in moves. And then the last question, at MK325491, was the Operation Goon trade bad for OKC? No. And I'm going to say this with, with explaining this. Shingu's a really good player, a really good player. And I think that he's going to be really good for, for Houston. But it's the same way I feel about Jabari Smith. I think that Jabari Smith's a good player. I think that Shingu's a really good player. I think that Jabari Smith is not playing to his level at, at Houston because of the construct of the roster around him and the play style around him. I think if you drop Jabari Smith Jr. in OKC... He gets better at decision-making. He gets better with the ball in his hands. And he gets set up a lot better by Josh Gideon, by SGA, because he's in a better organization. He's in a better flow. He's in a better system. And the talent around him elevates him. Because he's going to be put with two really good playmakers. With Josh Giddey's elite passing, with SGA's really high playmaking, and also his gravity that opens up the floor for other players. And we know that Jabari Smith can knock down threes. So like, I think Jabari Smith Jr. would look awesome in OKC, where he doesn't look awesome yet in Houston. 
with Alfred Shingun, Shingun's a really, really good player, but he doesn't fit the mold of what OKC wants to do. And there's going to be players like that all the time. Like there's going to be players who on other teams, they look fantastic. Like Trey Young, he is fantastic. Like he's a nice, he's a really, really good player. I don't think that Trey Young could play for OKC. I don't think that they want a guy who just has the ball stick to him on offense, who, who can't play off ball, who isn't very versatile on either end of the floor, they, and who can't play defense. Like they don't want that kind of player. However, that kind of player is still really good for Trey Young and really good for the Hawks. And so while Shingun is really good, it's just not the way the Thunder want to operate or play. So the Thunder didn't make a mistake. He doesn't fit their play style, but he's still good. Just doesn't fit their play style. Just, just doesn't fit their team. So no, he doesn't fit their team. And so you traded Shingun, and then you use those assets to go get Usman Jang and buy that first-round pick. And and Usman Jang fits the profile of what you want a Thunder player to be. If he hits, he's going to be a really good defender that can switch one through five. He's going to be a really good offensive player that can score at all three levels and make decisions with the ball in his hand. Like, he's going to fit with what you want. And Shingun fits with what the Rockets want. Sometimes that's just, that's just the end of it. It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, this team got fleeced or that team got fleeced. No, they just do what's best for them, and they move forward. I think that both teams do what's best for them. And then you move forward and let it lie. Tomorrow's show, draft show with Richard Stamen, always a fun time. Tune in for that. Thursday, recap the Hawks game. Friday, stock watch. Saturday, Cavs recap. Monday, we do it again with the Warriors recap and then take you through the entire week yet again and after every single game. So subscribe anywhere you get your podcast from. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.